Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. We certainly appreciate you tuning out like you do every week. Thank you so much. I want to cover just a couple of quick uh, things before we get into the action. First, Legends Drinkware. We're going to have a winner for our initial contest, and we're going to announce that this week. We especially want to thank everyone who participated in in the contest. We had sort of a late run of of entry, and we really, really do appreciate that. But I want to tell you what, everyone is a winner. Because if you'll head over to legendsdrinkware.com and use code AFB10, you'll get a 10% discount on your order. And I'm going to tell you, these are some of the coolest tumblers and pint glasses you're ever going to find, especially for an Alabama fan. It truly is like having a sort of like your own trophy uh, in your hand. And so go check that out. We're also going to have another contest. We're kind of putting uh, that uh, into motion. And so uh, listen up for more details there. Uh, Speaking of winners, I want to give a special shout out to my new friend, Brian. He won uh, the tickets for the Mississippi State game and joined me in town. And uh, we went to the game and hung out. And uh, that was a lot of fun. So salute to Brian. Uh, who's able to join us, and uh, we end up uh, ended up really having a good time uh, with the game and such. And I want to take a moment, uh, just a quick minute, and have a little bit of nostalgia and uh, a little bit of uh, we'll call it of an in memorial. Uh, uh, what's that word? Uh, memorandum, mem- memoriam. Uh, okay, we'll just take a nostalgia moment. I have a buddy of mine that passed away in October. And I knew that he was in a bad place. I knew that he was in a bad uh, condition. And uh, I didn't learn of his passing uh, until later in the month, a couple of weeks after it had happened. And his name's Dale, uh, good friend. And, uh, you know, his is really a story of loss and, and tragedy. He was going through some hard times. And, you know, everyone sort of has the demon demons that they work through. And, and he certainly had his. And over time, those conspired against him and, and, um, you know, sort of led to, led to his end. And, you know, in situations like this, you kind of choose what you want to remember about an individual. And I want to choose the good. I want to choose, uh, to, to remember the, the good times, the great times, uh, that we as friends, uh, you know, spent with him and in his presence, in his company. And as far as legacies go, he has a lot more and bigger and better legacies, you know, his family, his children. But uh, as it relates back to this podcast, one of his legacies is, is really a precursor or a forerunner uh, to this pod- podcast. Back in the, back in the days of, you know, end of Stalin's era, transitioning to DeBose, you know, 97, 98, 99 uh, time frame, there were a group of us that would go to Birmingham and we would actually stay at Dale's house. And we'd go to the games and then drive back up to Birmingham after the game. And then we hang out, you know, one, two, three in the morning, whatever it was, hanging out in his driveway and just talking about the game and talking about the state of the program and just, you know, bullshitting football like guys do, women too. And uh, we we came to call that driveway talk. We just literally stand out in his driveway. Uh, we, if we went to a road game, we just find a place at a tailgate and we end up talking and we call that driveway talk. And so anyways, over time, the driveway talk sort of gave way to eventually this podcast. It ended up, you know, the groups groups sort of come and go or evolve or, and uh, their first stretch of time, uh, we moved that group to Tuscaloosa tailgating on campus. And then eventually just got to, you know, Tommy and I and just talking over the phone. And eventually that sort of segued into the podcast. So, so there's a little bit of legacy there, there that, uh, that, that Dale has. And when I was in Tuscaloosa, I found myself, 
not really in a cheesy way, but in, in Tuscaloosa for the first time in, in nearly a year, uh, right at about a month, uh, you know, since, since Dale's passing. And I just found him heavy on my mind. Uh, I found, you know, almost walking around, uh, looking for his face and not in a sort of, you know, return from the dead or walking dead sort of cheesy kind of, kind of way, but just in the way that you go somewhere that you know that you've been, uh, a number of times and you almost have an expectancy that you're going to see a familiar face. Uh, there was almost that, uh, that expectancy. And so, uh, I woke up with that kind of heavy on my mind, uh, this morning. And so I wanted to fold that into, uh, into the podcast and just give the tap, tip of the cap to Dale and, uh, and share that, share that story with, uh, with the podcast listeners. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk ball like we do. I think we've got a lot of cool things uh, to talk about. And in fact, I might say, or in a late Saturday night tweet, I might tweet uh, something simple to the fact that it's happening. And, uh, and in fact, I did that Saturday night. And, you know, for most of the night after the game, I just couldn't shake a grin. I just I just had a grin on my face. And, you know, I'll give the alcohol a little bit of credit for that. I'll give uh, Brian a little bit of credit sort of hanging out. And I'll give, you know, credit just to being back in, in Tuscaloosa. You know, like I said, it had been about a year since I'd been in town. And and, uh, and so I was certainly certainly enjoying uh, the moment. But I think the, the sort of the, the coming togetherness of the season, if you will, had the most to do with it. Consider the following. These, these are the things sort of bouncing around uh, in my head. Over the weekend, uh, after the, you know, before the game, after the game, during the game, and then uh, leading up to you know even recording here on Monday. Uh, so consider the following: uh, you know, against Tennessee, Alabama had no passing touchdowns, but still managed forty-eight points, five hundred eighty-seven total yards. Against Mississippi State, Alabama had no rushing touchdowns, but still managed forty-one points and four hundred ninety-nine total yards. And so think about just the dichotomy there. One one game, you know, both games right at 500 yards. One actually almost to 600. One no passing touchdowns. One no rushing touchdowns. It's still, you know, north of 40 points and uh, right at 500 yards. That is that is prolific offense, uh, either of the games. And to do it in such a diverse fashion, one passing only and one uh, rushing only, that's pretty impressive. I think it, talk, it speaks definitely to the diversity of the offense. It speaks to if, if Alabama's not clicking in one regard, then we can click on another. It speaks to if a defense is going to stack up to stop Alabama in one way, Alabama can have success in the other. And, and to do that in sort of back-to-back games, I think I think sends a statement or certainly makes a statement. Uh, consider the, uh, the shutout, something that seemed, I would say, impossible just a mere three weeks ago. Think about – Subsequent to the Ole Miss game, Alabama's played eight shutout quarters in the last three games. So eight of the last 12 quarters uh, are eight, eight quarters in the last three games of 12, 12 quarters. Alabama's posted a shutout. If you winnow that down just a little bit, Georgia scored all their points in the first half. If you look at the last 10 quarters that Alabama has played, then eight of 10 quarters have been shut out. And Tennessee only scored 17 points. So eight of ten, eight of the ten last quarters played have been shutouts, and Alabama's only allowed 17 points. That's that's pretty darn impressive. Uh, sure, tackling on the defense and turnovers are returning to fashion. And uh, the bye week, six games in, I, I, I sort of. Really elaborate on this, and I, and I really sort of focus on this. But the the placement of the bye week, I think, is perfect. Six games in, we've had it as late as seven or eight games in a regular uh, schedule. To so to set it right here at six, have four games left. I think there's a perfection to that. It's not halfway. Four is you start to think about that mentally is is a small number to gear up for. Uh, and then some teams had their bye after four games, and you feel like the bigger chunk of the season is is after the is after the bye. I can see that can grate on the team or players uh, a little differently. So, so I kind of like the, or in fact, I really do like the placement uh, of the bye here. Uh, it's extra time for just any number of players uh, to recover, uh, to fully mend, return back to form. 
uh, LeBron Ray, Miller Forstall, Deontay Brown, John Mechie, Malachi Moore, Brian Robinson, and uh, a number of other players that have been uh, sort of dinged up and, and that have been publicly uh, known, and then certainly a number of players, in fact, everyone who, who plays and competes is dinged up in some capacity. Even if they've never missed a snap, uh, their bodies uh, can certainly use the time off. So look forward to that. And so that's a lot as an Alabama fan. I'm just exhausted as I record this because that's not coming through in my voice. The level of excitement and energy that I have, I just, I don't know if, I guess you should have seen the grin I had Saturday night because uh, I'm really excited about where this team is, the direction that it's going, and the progress that we're seeing. Uh, all, not all of my predictions at the beginning of the season have, have proven correct, but I feel confident in the trajectory or the sort of the directionality of uh, what I what I was expecting from this team, uh, I think it's really starting to come to come together. There's almost a hope, almost an expectation that the season is going to start with the team as a final product, and that's not how it works. You come out of camp, and then you get, you even get better, or you progress, or you evolve. Some teams get worse, uh, but the you know the Saban model. Uh, what we've seen Alabama under Saban is the team gets better, uh, typically gets better uh, during the season. Now, you can argue the the strength and conditioning, uh, that there's a peak, and then we've sort of fallen off. I think that uh, we're in a better position to compete that, uh, com- uh, compete against that notion this season. And, uh, and again, that's something that we sort of predicted as well or, or certainly expected. So uh, super excited about where this team is and uh, certainly where this team is going. All right, so let's jump into offense, and uh, you know, just going to call out some, just going to call out some highlights and and a couple observations. But uh, twenty six first downs, that's not a huge number, uh, but that's nice. That's uh, some some good production when you counteroppose that to twelve uh, first downs from Mississippi State. Uh, six of fourteen on third downs. Now that's not a good number. Uh, definitely disappointed uh, that the, that conversion should have uh, could have been should have been higher. But 499 yards um, is good. You know, 500 yards. Think back not that long ago. 500 yards was like the holy ground of of offensive production. And uh, to get right at 499, that would be headlines. That would be headline material. And uh, to think there's a little bit of almost disappointment that ah, it was just, just 499. Uh, we need to watch ourselves on that one. Uh, Mac Jones was 24 of 31, uh, 291 yards. Uh, again, that's when, that's another one of those numbers. 300 yard passing yards used to be, you know, almost the hallmark. Uh, you would almost, you know, in the stands root for one more pass, get that, get that 300. And, uh, we're almost disappointed that it's not 400, uh, because he's got, had quite a number of those. Uh, but it's still a super efficient day. I want to say it was 76, 78, uh, 77% uh, completion right at 300 yards, which again is a phenomenal number. Uh, four touchdowns on the day. Again, uh, phenomenal. Uh, Najee, I thought, was super efficient, super effective. He didn't rack up any touchdowns, but 21 rushes for a buck 19. He averaged 5.7 on the day, which is sensational. But there's a stat, I can't remember where I read this. I need to write this stuff down so I can credit folks. But there's a stat that, that I saw that on his first down carries, he averaged over seven. Now think about that for a minute. On first down, he's averaging over seven or right at seven. That really puts the offense in, in a creative uh, position. And maybe that's why we didn't need to convert so many third downs. Uh, because we were we were making so much hay on first down, and that's a trend that we've been calling out here uh, on the show as well. So uh, hats off to Najee. I just have to give a lot of credit to uh, how he is running the ball. His vision in in short spaces, in small sort of confined spaces, has has really been phenomenal. Uh, I don't know sort of the right way to explain it. Uh, there's there's probably more technical sort of jargon. But it seems that in the past, and may you know, this is a senior season, so you know, maybe through the first quarter, the first third of last year, and so a couple of years, he seemed to want the full hole to be open so that he could run not just into the hole, but through the hole. And he wanted to see the green 
on the other side before he would even take uh, the first stride into the hole. And that would lead to him being tackled uh, sometimes at the line of scrimmage. He seems, especially this season, last year he certainly was, you know, he sort of blossomed at the second half of last season. This season, it's a whole nother element. It's a whole nother dimension where he is running into the hole not exactly knowing how he's going to run out the other side, but he's getting the yards that are available. And then that almost forces him, a survival mode almost, that forces him to use his vision, his agility, his change of direction to run himself out of a hole and almost create the exit uh, of the hole as, as the play is still unfolding. That makes sense in my head. I don't know if that I don't know how that translates uh, is to the listener, but go back and watch some of his runs, and he will he will run not just blindly into the line of scrimmage, but run into an, an opening and and then just manufacture a way out and manufacture. If he needs two yards, he's going to get three. If he needs three, he's going to get four, and. Uh, and, and, and then he still comes close to breaking runs. And as talented as he is, uh, and I do think his top end is not the same as Trey, Ander, uh, Trey Sanders, but I think he has enough enough speed that, that he is half a step away from really busting, you know, quite a number of 30, 40, 50-yard uh, runs, uh, some longer touchdowns. And I still predict that for him. I still see that. I still see that for him this season. Uh, speaking of Trey Sanders, he had an incredible day as well. I thought he demonstrated uh, good vision, good good agility, good lateral agility, good sort of bouncing it out. Uh, he had 12 carries for 80 yards. Uh, he had uh, six six and six point seven was was his average. He had a couple couple of 20 yard runs, uh, if I recall. And what what I liked about him was he, he would bounce it out, but he wouldn't. And, and there's run, one run in particular where he bounced it outside a couple of times. And, and what impressed me is that he didn't bounce it like all the way out to the sideline on the first run. He went lateral just enough to get away from the tackler. And then he was able to gain more yards sort of north and south and then went lateral again to get away from uh, another set of defenders. Had he run all the way lateral before he cut back uh, north and south, then you know he would he would not have had the uh, the escape opportunity that he had, and so he took just enough sort of escape steps to allow him to continue running forward. I thought that was impressive. I thought his burst of speed, uh, his vision, <clears throat> his agility. I thought he looked uh, very comfortable carrying the ball, and that's almost a threshold. He looked less comfortable earlier in the season, especially compared to what we saw him do against Mississippi State. So super excited about Trey Sanders. We're going to continue to see him progress. Uh, Brian Robinson still dinged up. He had two carries for five yards. But here's what was impressive to me about Brian Robinson. when we And we've caught this out before, too, because we've seen this earlier in the season, and we certainly saw it Saturday against Mississippi State. On third downs – when Trey Sanders was in, we would rotate Trey Sanders out and bring Robinson in. And it wasn't for Robinson to carry the ball, but it was for him to pick up blitzes. And so we were situationally, we knew that Brian Robinson was injured. And so we knew that we had to limit his snaps. And it was very strategic in how we we brought him in. And so I think we had to give him a couple carries to sort of keep it, to keep the play honest, but we would bring him in more to play in a in a blocking capacity, and I thought that was I thought that was pretty smart, and it's smart in a couple of different ways, because Saban has said before, and it's not a bad philosophy, but Saban has said before, if you can't block, you can't play. Uh, you want everybody wants to run the ball, but if you can't block, you can't play, and I think there's truth to that. I think if you also have a super talented runner then you might need to maybe meet them halfway or meet them a quarter of the way. And so on a defined third down, this is a passing down. Let's just rotate the guy out that who who's not as experienced uh, blocking. And this bringing the more experience. Now, the first or second down, you have to be proficient enough th- so that we can run the offense or we can't leave you in there. I understand to that point. But when you're going to get to third down, when it's a defined passing situation, then 
all bets are off. Let's just put in the better blocker. Let's not be stubborn. Let's not be hard-headed to the point that we get a quarterback injured. And so I think that's – maybe that's not quite meeting in the middle, but that's meeting, you know, 10 20% of the way. Uh, and I'm glad to see that uh, – I'm glad to see that Alabama's doing that. I know Robinson being hurt has something to do with that. But uh, even before he was dinged up, we saw that uh, early in the season. I want to say we we called that out as early as the Mississippi State game. So, or I'm sorry, the Missouri game. So I don't know. So definitely something to keep a watch on. But hopefully, B. Rob comes back from from injury after this bye. And uh, I am at a position. I'm really beginning to subscribe to the notion that uh, Brian Robinson comes back next year. Again, the whole COVID thing, the eligibility this year doesn't count. He'll have the option of coming back next year where otherwise he would not. And so I'd kind of built that into my mental model that he's done. And uh, I think over the last week or 10 days, I started this maybe second guess that I think, uh, I think Brian Robinson might come back. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, Smitty. Have I buried the lead? 11 touches for uh, 203 yards, which is just phenomenal. Uh, Four touchdowns. Did you know that, Alabama has only had two wide receivers, or I'm sorry, two instances where a wide receiver had four touchdowns in a game, and both of them are Devonta Smith. I find that very surprising, especially over the last, call it eight years. Uh, you know, maybe even go back to Julio. So maybe just call that during the the Saban regime. That's surprising that that's only happened twice, and that both have been Smitty. If you even if you thought it was the second half of the Saban regime, you might think, you know, Cooper or Ridley back when they were sort of the only stud receivers or top shelf receivers on the team. You might think Ruggs, you might think Judy, uh, you might list, you know, four or five names, even before you get to, to, to Smitty, you might even have listed Waddle uh, ahead of him. But that's just another one of those circumstances where Smitty is a little bit underrated, as talented as he and artful as he is, that he might uh, still be considered a, a little underrated, and what we're finding now is that uh, uh, that he is ever bit as talented as any of the other guys, perhaps more so than some of them, and um, he's certainly demonstrating that. Uh, and in fact, uh, he tied uh, Amari Cooper for career touchdowns, and he's certainly on pace to uh, to break that record and into distance. Uh, speaking of on pace to breaking records, I want to go back and talk about Najee with his performance. Saturday, he is right at, I forget the exact number, but he's right at 500 yards away from breaking uh, Derrick Henry's career yardage record, which that's pretty darn impressive. And he has the opportunity, even with it's being a shortened season, he has the opportunity to do that in the regular season. So not even counting SEC championships and any potential postseason. If you look at the roster teams that we have coming up, you know, he needs to run uh, for a buck and a quarter against each. That's what he needs to average. And he has uh, of recent weeks, you know, put up a buck 50 a couple of times. So it's a challenge, but I think that's, I think that's a challenge that he's going to accept. And uh, I would not be surprised to see that broken uh, during the course of the regular season. If you count bowl games, and then depending upon how many postseason uh, opportunities Alabama gets or an injury, it's almost a foregone conclusion that he's going to get 500 yards, but it'd be nice to see that happen during the regular season. Uh, so what else did we see on offense? Uh, Carl Tucker was back, and uh, and he was uh, he was it was real pleasant to to see him on the field, uh, rotating in and out. Alabama ended up playing at a, playing a lot of tight ends, uh, but it was good to see Carl back. You know, again, uh, we mentioned recently Cole uh, Kubik highlights uh, a blocker, uh, and he, he does this for a couple of teams. But uh, one of the one of the blocks that uh, that he highlighted uh, was Carl Tucker. And it was it was more of a shove or a wrestling move even than it was block. He uh, went in motion across the formation, lined up on his guy, and just just with one hand, it looked like just shoved him to the ground. And not just to the ground, the guy just you know just toppled over. But he you know looked like he almost flew horizontal to the ground. That he was shoved back across the line of scrimmage, and looked up like Mama, who's that man? Man, Carl Tucker was making up for lost time on that block. Uh, really, really trucked, uh, really trucked the guy. Now there were a couple times. Carl's eighty-six, and Kendall Randolph uh, will come in sporting eighty-five. And there were a couple times, especially from the distance of the the cheap seats, 
uh, it was tough to sort of get a read which which of the which of these fellows am I seeing? And so, uh, I th- it, on, upon replay, we definitely saw Kendall Randolph, but I think we saw Carl Tucker as well line up on the left, almost you know in a wing position off the off the line of scrimmage uh, next to the tackle, and look like he was going to block and then leak out in coverage uh, across the middle, and it wasn't a deep route. It was a shallow cross, maybe eight yards. And when we think about Alabama's defense getting beat by these tight ends who just find an open spot, it looked like we were doing that. It looked like the the tide was doing that. And we didn't throw to the tight end in either of those uh, opportunities. But it's there. That was there against Mississippi State and potentially is there against other teams. And so uh, don't be surprised if we – bring in what we expect as a blocking tight end, and uh, and we work a little action to them in a short passing game. So that'll be something something to see. There was another formation that we ran that uh, definitely caught my eye. And I think we got a penalty on it. Uh, there was movement on the line of scrimmage. But it was a formation where we ran trips out wide. And this was to the – this was to the uh, – I guess to the left as well. And – we ran trips, but the characters in play were Miller Forstall, Carl Tucker, and Najee. And so it looked like it was going to be sort of a big running back screen. And it and, and the play, the, Najee did turn, and Carl went to, went to block, and Forstall just leaked out to pass. Now, it was called back, so the play didn't – we didn't even throw the ball. It was it was a quick whistle, but uh, as as the first steps of the play were happening, I think Alabama jumped, and so as the first steps of the play were happening, you could see that that was what was about to unfold there, and that was that's going to be an interesting uh, formation to watch. I think you could do a lot out of that. Uh, certainly with the two tight ends, you could do the running back screen, but then you could leak out one of the tight ends. And so I think there's a lot of interesting things that, that you could do with that. That type of, of formation, that type of uh, player grouping, you think that's going to get maybe some linebackers uh, out of the box. That might get uh, some of your safeties over on that that line of scrimmage. So that might create some one in, one-on-one opportunities elsewhere on the field. So I think that might be interesting. You know, with a mobile quarterback, and and I, I'm going to contradict myself, what might be an interesting play is a naked boot the other way with a mobile quarterback, uh, because if you shift the linebackers and the safety's attention, then you're going to have a, a running opportunity the other way. Now, as much as I think that's true, I'm going to suggest that I hope we don't do that with Mac Jones. I would say we need to protect him a little bit more. That would have been probably a phenomenal play with a Jalen Hurts, more of a more of a running quarterback, and that might be something interesting to see with Bryce. But uh, let's not do that with Mac. But let's watch for that formation and see uh, see how that lines up again. Offensive line, phenomenal again. A couple of penalties. Evan Evan Neal uh, had a couple of penalties. Didn't like seeing that. I, I think Alabama had 10 or 11 penalties on the day. Uh, not all of them on offense, but uh, it's a lot of pre-snap issues uh, on, uh, across the offensive line. And I'd really like to see that uh, cleaned up. Probably the most frustrating penalty that we had uh, across the offensive line, and it was at a point where the game was over, and so I found it more comical than anything else. But when we did the wholesale change across the offensive line, Kendall Randolph renumbered, and he was wearing number sixty, and uh, was lining up at uh, was lining up at. I'm not sure if he was playing a guard or if he was playing a center position, but uh, he was called for uh, for a penalty. And uh, and I thought, well, that's funny because he's gotten more snaps. He's gotten more reps across the offensive front than any of the other guys. And so uh, I thought it was ironic that he got called for a penalty. But uh, but nonetheless, I like the offensive line play. And in fact, uh, mini game ball, I'm going to go uh, Emil Echior. He's probably the most underrated player across the offensive line. But from start of the season till now, I think he's progressed as well uh, or better than any of the other uh, sort of individual players. You could reason he had further to go, and I think that would be fair. But uh, I like the progression, uh, especially when you think the first week, uh, the, after the first game, after the second game, there there were, uh, you know, chat room experts calling for uh, him to lose his job. 
in the fact uh, that he's acquitted himself quite well over the course of the season, uh, I think is pretty darn uh, impressive. Hey, you all know I'm a serious Tide fan, but I'm also a whiskey guy. You know I like my brown waters. Apparently Facebook does too, and we're all better for it. Recently, up popped an ad for Legends Drinkware Glasses, and it was easily the coolest thing I'd seen in a while. But wow, now that I have these in my hands, I'm blown away. You know our Crimson Tide is rooted in tradition, class, and style. Somehow, the crew at Legends Drinkware distilled each of these elements into their glasses. No detail is overlooked. Lead-free, crystal glass, hand-blown in America. Even the packaging is top shelf. And the gym-like logo, well, it calls out to you. Roll Tide with every sip. All right, let's flip the field and let's talk defense. And I'm going to follow Saban's advice, and I'm going to manage my energy uh, a little bit better than I did probably in the first half of this podcast. So let's talk about defense. And, again, defense is where I'm super excited, especially for this Mississippi State game. I can't say enough about the shutout. Uh, Again, three short weeks ago, whoever uh, would have expected that Alabama would be putting up a shutout. So the Alabama defense held uh, the Bulldogs to 200 total yards of offense, only 12 first downs, only 37 rushing yards. These are the types of stats that Alabama fans love that uh, that that sort of uh, speak to the defense playing so well. And the fact that we have uh, some of these stats turning up in this game, it's easy to point to the Mississippi State offense and they're falling apart. And I'm not going to argue that necessarily, but it's still impressive to see it's still confidence building for the defense. And so now that it's on tape, now that it's on paper, uh, the performance, they still have to go out and execute, and execute they did. And so this is exciting. 20 incompletions, 10 punts, again, zero points. So check this. Five, the, not just five, the five, the first five possessions that Mississippi State had were all three and outs. Seven of the first possessions that Mississippi State had were three and outs. The sixth possession, they ran four plays. So they got one first down. And so that was a four and out, if you will. And so uh, so that's impressive. So that's just, that's just outstanding. Only two possessions that Mississippi State had were greater than three minutes. And so, again, that just speaks to the defense turning the ball over, turn not literally a turn, turnover, but per, turning over the possession, getting the other team off the field, literally by taking it away. There were three turnovers or shutting down the offensive efficiency so that they have to punt it away. And that's that's phenomenal. And that's what we saw by the Alabama defense on Saturday. Again, 10 punts. Uh, Alabama schematically played a dime all night long. I was watching for that to shift a couple times, and it never did. Six defensive backs on the field all day long. Coming out of the half, Miss, Mississippi State ran the ball in their first possession. They ran the ball three straight times, and uh, it, it's not something they stuck with, nor was there another time in the game where they ran the ball three straight times. And I got the impression that they maybe were going to come out in the second half and try to run us out of the dime, but they didn't stick with it. Uh, they had a five-yard run, a six-yard run, and a 10-yard run, but then they went right back to the pass, and then and then a couple of plays later, they were punting. So uh, I'm not suggesting they would have had the success that Georgia would have had had Georgia stuck with the run, but it looked like they could cook something up there and maybe try to run us out of the dime and then throw over top of it, but they never – they weren't patient enough to, to see if that opportunity existed. And I get they're playing from behind, and so you got to score points if you're going to try to come back but do you really think you're going to try to come back or are you trying to develop and build something? Um, you know, six, one, half a dozen, another, perhaps. Although the corners played phenomenal, uh, Job and Sertain, I think are cementing themselves as the best pair of cornerbacks uh, in the SEC. Uh, I commented a couple of times that uh, Job is playing so much better than I even thought he could. I thought he would be a serviceable corner in the SEC. Uh, I think he's so much better than that. And he plays with an aggression. He is angry when he plays. And he takes it out on anyone that he goes to tackle. He's much more physical uh, than Sertain. And he plays very, very well. I'm going to speculate. Now, I hope he comes back. Sertain won't. Uh, and I understand. Uh, he, he's going to be a top you know, eight pick in the draft. He should go. Job. 
I think is someone that NFL that that will get a good grade, and he may get a grade that's high enough for him to consider going. There's going to be a lot of scouts looking at Sertain, and you, we all hear the record, or, you know, recruiting stories. You know, we found a guy when we were recruiting someone else, and so there's going to be a lot of scouts that are watching Alabama tape or attending games or attending practices, whatever sort of the COVID conventions allow. And they're going to see Patrick, and they're going to see Josh, and they're going to really like him, and they're going to realize Alabama has a pair of first-round potential cornerbacks. And uh, my thought was that, well, preseason I wouldn't have predicted that Josh had that type of ceiling. I'm seeing it now, and my only hope is that I'm a year early in seeing it and that he comes back and plays next year and the scouts say, oh, yeah, I remember seeing him. Uh, but they say that next year, not this year. So I might be a year early. I, I'm rooting to be a year early. But he's played really, really well. Uh, i tell you another couple of players that are going to be high round draft picks when the opportunity affords. And that's Malachi Moore and Brian Branch. Malachi, we've seen all season long. And he is just continuing to play better uh, and better at the star position. Well, Brian Branch got his first start uh, this week. And uh, I thought he acquitted himself very, very well. Kai had eight tackles or participated in eight tackles and Branch uh, participated in seven. And I'll tell you what's interesting is, uh, you know, Alabama played a dime. So they were playing, uh, they were playing six uh, defensive backs. I got my whiteboard marker for my whiteboard so I can draw while I talk. And so you think about, you know, the cornerbacks and the defense is going to align similar to uh, how the offensive line, uh, the offensive lines. And so Mississippi State aligned a lot of times with a wide receiver out wide and then a slot receiver sort of inside. And they did that on both sides. And so I call that almost, I don't know, there's a, there's a so it's four wide, and the, but the, it's a matching uh, formation on both sides. So it's a wide receiver out wide uh, with a slot receiver. And then so what Alabama would do is they would line up in got my X's and O's backwards. They would line up in a uh, what would appear to be a man-to-man match, and so we'd have the corners on the outside. We'd have essentially you know, Malachi over one of the slots, and then we'd have Brian Branch over one of the slots as well. And then we'd have we'd have the safeties battle, and uh, and it started out Daniel Wright, and we rotated out Helms in the third quarter. And so I counted up the alignment every single time, and it almost looked like we were in, in you know, an L position. Not that that's a, a position, but just the way the players were lined up. And so man-on-man uh, man on the outside, man-on-man on, man on the slot, and then behind the slot receiver, and maybe stepping inside uh, a step, but behind the, the star, behind the slot uh, corner, uh, would be uh, the safety. And it would almost look like man-to-man – man-to-man underneath a two-high safety set is really what it looked like. And so there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of a little bit of zone, a little bit of man-to-man is, is really what it looked like. And I, and I was trying to sort of track that and, uh, you know, over the course of the game. And what's interesting is, and I don't know if it was intentional because it was Brian Branch, his first start, true freshman, or it, it, if it just was coincidental, but the slot receiver that Brian Branch lined up over, he went into motion quite often. And when he went into motion, uh, Brian would move with him. And so that told me this is not a pure slot. Uh, this is not a pure zone because we're not just passing him off. He was going man-to-man with him. But it looked like once they would set, and we're going to have a coach get on here and tell me that that I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'll, I will agree with him. Uh, but it looked like once – once they were set, then then we would play more of a zone. Once the, once the alignment was set, I don't know if I'm making that up or uh, or if my eyes were were correct on that. But uh, but it was interesting that it was Branch's man that moved a lot, and Branch didn't did not fail an assignment uh, in that regard. And I thought that was impressive. So that's a lot of sort of clumsy explanation to get to a uh, true freshman in his first start playing most of the game uh, against a potentially dangerous team uh, passing the ball that uh, he was 
asked to do quite a lot, and he acquitted himself very, very well. So I think we have youngsters in the secondary that we can be very proud of uh, and very pleased with. Uh, I'm going to stick in the secondary but make uh, another point, and uh, that's Saban said that he was not really pleased with the safety play. He was not really pleased with the tackling in the secondary. And I thought that the defensive backs uh, across the board took that to heart. I thought they were incredibly physical on Saturday and really played very, very well. Now, part of that is the offense. Um, Mississippi State never really took strikes down the field. Uh, They never really uh, tried to uh, stretch the field vertically. They stretched it horizontally. But within 15, 12, 15 yards, <clears throat> that's where all the action happened. And uh, it's easy from, from a secondary perspective when you're spreading the field, but it, spreading it in a very limited way. It's, and then there's so many bodies, it's, easy for the, it's easier for the defense to keep the play in front of them. And it's easier to be throwing into a neighborhood where there's uh, multiple tacklers that can come in uh, and make the play. And, and, and the, the rapid reaction, the rapid read to uh, make several almost gang tackles in the secondary help, helps sort of convince me that there were, that there were some, some zone dynamics in play. So uh, definitely fun to watch. And I think, you know, we can dismiss it as having been Ole Miss or having been Mississippi State. And I think that's fair to a point, but it doesn't do justice to how these players are developing uh, and what we're seeing. And again, I call out the youngsters as a measuring stick uh, of the progression because you could you could run a very simple offense, but if the players don't know what they're doing, uh, even in a simpler uh, defense, even in a simple defense, if the player doesn't know what they're doing and they're lost, then they're just going to be lost. But I didn't see that. I didn't see any of that uh, Saturday night, and so that was very very good, fin- uh, fantastic sort of development. Uh, I did see. Now, we played a number of guys in the secondary, Alabama did, and uh, one of the players that uh, I was excited to see come back, and I think he's going to rotate in and have more and more uh, of an opportunity, is is Ronald Williams. Uh, I read one site where they specifically called him out as having not played, uh, and and I knew that that was wrong, and I've since read two or three articles, uh, additional articles, that did confirm that he played, and... um, you know, the first article had me thinking, was there another Williams in the secondary that I need to look up? Uh, and so I did. And uh, I double checked uh, the roster and 22, not only is Najee Harris, but 22 on the defense is, is Ronald Williams. So if someone says that Ronald Williams didn't play in this game, take it from me uh, that they are wrong. Ronald Williams did uh, play in this game. And uh, I thought he played well. It was late, and he played uh, only just a little bit. I thought he played well. We're going to see more and more of him as the season goes uh, As the season goes on. Dylan Moses had an incredible interception. I think it almost – it happened so fast, and I've even watching the replays, there's got to be some other angles that, uh, that I've not seen. But it almost looked like he was going up to try to bat the ball, and, and, and the ball got caught in sort of the crook of his arm. And it wasn't an intentional trying to get uh, grab it uh, because he even looked like, you know, even you're seeing the play even in slow motion, but it almost looked like he was shocked. And uh, I read one article that that said, look at the athleticism and 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 that, that he has in, in making this this play and his awareness. And it was it was a puff piece. And uh, I thought, no, I, I think that ball just accidentally got like caught in his arm. <laughs> I think it was as, as these crazy things, you know, happen. And so I thought it was, it was less spectacular play, especially in the catch. Now he was certainly defending and was in, in position, no doubt about that. But I think the, the, the literal catch, I think was more of an accidental trap of the ball. And then he caught it. And, uh, and look, I'll just say, dude, <laughs> don't run it out of the end zone. Uh, uh, I didn't like when Jalen did it last week. Of course, none of us did. And uh, and I thought, Dylan, what what are you doing, man? You're you're not nearly as athletic as he is in the open field, and uh, and they're and they're coming to get you. So you shouldn't have done that. And of course, Alabama was down at the one. Uh, there was some uh, speculation on, on the replay that maybe they should have replayed that, and was he fully out of the end zone? I don't know. He he shouldn't have tried to take it out, and so that was a little bit disappointing. But 
hey, I'll take the excitement and I'll certainly take the turnover. That was their longest uh, drive of the game. Mississippi State's longest drive of the game, and they're certainly uh, in position to score. So uh, I'll take the turnover and I'll take the ball in the one coming out, coming the other way uh, anytime. Defensive line, I thought played really, really well. I really like, I want to say the youngsters, and then the first guy I want to mention is uh, uh, Fidarian. But uh, I really like the Fidarian, you know, I feel like he's a starter. I feel like he's a rotational guy, He's he's and he's been both. I like Christian Barmore. Uh, I think he there, there's these big guys, and they're, they're, I mean, they're huge guys, but they're so nimble and so mobile. Fidarian and, and Byron Young, you know, wearing those 40 numbers, actually you can mistake them for linebackers. Barmore, you know, running a 58. But uh, just so talented, so nimble, so so quick, and they're making, you know, really, really good plays. Tim Smith, I, I focused on him a little bit more, and I, and I want to go back and watch the tape and, and focus on him more. I think I, I'm coming along with the idea that the defense plays better uh, when he's in there. Uh, I really like DJ Dale. DJ Dale has demonstrated a capability of playing, and he was really good. The best ball that we've seen out of DJ Dale was early last season. That makes me think that he might not be fully back uh, from his injury because it's not like we've not seen DJ play uh, incredible. It's just he's not doing it right now. So that makes me think there might still be some some injury concern. But Tim Smith right now, uh, he's getting more and more run, and he is playing uh, phenomenal. He did have uh, a fumble recovery, which was uh, phenomenal. And he also uh, drew the ire of Coach Saban, which uh, was a little bit funny, and uh, it's certainly you know on point as well. And I want to talk about that for a minute. It's easy to say, you know, Saban shouldn't get on the players. I, you know, and I'm not even going to say that. Saban gets on the players because he he knows they can do better and he wants them to do better. And it's a training opportunity so that next time they do do better. And so uh, that penalty was on a fourth and one. And it gave Mississippi State a first down. So that's a critical opportunity where we could have potentially gotten them off the field and they got a first down. You could wrap a narrative around that with a different score and a different team and a different set of circumstances where that could be something that sustains a drive and leads to a score. Now, it didn't in this game. The game was uh, was all but over. There were only 55 seconds left on the clock. Uh, this game had been decided. Uh, but it's an example of don't do that in that situation because that that is costly. Uh, and so it's, it, is, it is a real facsimile of what could have been a set of circumstances. And that's where Saban says you play to a standard. You don't play to a scoreboard. You don't play to, you know, these external factors. You play to the standard. And so when it's fourth and one, you don't jump off sides and give them the first down. Nothing else matters. Also, if you think about the holy cow of this, we're talking about a nose guard jumping before the ball snaps. If there's anyone who should have the line of sight on the ball and not jump before the center moves it, that should be the nose guard. Literally, nose on the ball. And so I could see that being, uh, what is it that you're paying attention to that you're missing the ball that's right in front of your face? Um, so uh, I think that's I think that's a reason that, that Coach got onto him. And then I just like the video. Tim just just ran, you know, just jogged off the field, went back to you know the rest of his teammates. He knew what time it was. He knew who knew he knew you know sort of what the situation was, uh, literal and figurative. And uh, so I, I appreciate the way he handled that. I appreciate the play that that he has demonstrated these last couple of weeks. And I'm super excited uh, about what he is going to develop into. Not giving up on DJ Dale. Uh, I think he's going to get better, and then certainly he's a quality player that can uh, that can provide depth as well as uh, as we go forward. So super excited about this about what this defense uh, has in store. All right, so let's talk. Uh, so mini game ball on uh, defense. So I could go a couple of different ways here. I'm going to go Josh Job for all the reasons uh, that I've talked about. He feels like 
an understated player. He feels like someone that we sort of overlook uh, on the defense. And then he doesn't make a whole lot of plays because guess what? He's making plays. They're not throwing the ball his way. And uh, when he doesn't have an opportunity uh, to make plays, I think he he does quite well. So Josh Job, mini game ball. Special teams, Will Reichert, man, just continue to be impressed with his steady uh, his steadiness kicking the ball. He made two field goals. Uh, he was five for five on his PATs. He had seven kickoffs. Only two went into the end zone. So I like, you know, kicking the ball out of the end zone, no returns. So he was two of seven on that. Uh, Chase Allen, uh, he had one uh, kickoff and he put that into the end zone. So overall, uh, Alabama was three of eight on their kickoffs, uh, kicking it uh, into or out of the end zone. Uh, so that means, you know, we definitely, Alabama definitely allowed returns, 72 return yards, uh, 22 was a long, uh, was a long, overall the coverage was good. Uh, the coverage contained, and so their average drive start was uh, was was not a big number. But if you're out of the, if you're, if you're kicking it, out of the end zone, then they don't have the opportunity to make a superior athletic play, or they don't make a an opportunity for a penalty to, you know, help move the ball down the field. So, kick it out of the end zone, take the return game out of question, and that seems to be uh, something that Alabama's not doing. If that's the least of, uh, or if that's the biggest of our, of our complaints in a game like this, then I think we're I think we're in pretty good shape. Uh, Charles Scott, I thought was okay. Uh, punting. He had four punts, averaged 38. He did have a legitimate long punt of 46 yards that truly flipped the field. And so uh, I would say one of his four punts, uh, what I call sort of an A plus quality kick, the other three. And, you know, if you have four and average 38 and one of them is 46, uh, you know, do the math on that. I did see one stat report that said he pinned uh, the opponent back into the 20, uh, and I saw another stat report. Uh, I believe it was the Alabama stat, uh, RollTie.com, where they uh, credited him with one punt uh, pinning the team inside the 20, and then the ESPN stat line said that he had none uh, uh, pinning the opponent back into the 20. So I'm not sure what the what the ruling there uh, truly is, but uh, even if it's one, it's still you know one out of four. There's an opportunity for us to improve there uh, in in the uh, in the punt game, so uh, I'll, I'll sort of stand by that. And I'm not mad at the kid. I just I don't know what Todd Piron did, and so I don't know. I don't think he's opting out. I don't think Piron opted out, and so I'm not sure what he has. What I, I don't know the circumstance there, and so it's going to be interesting maybe to see how that uh, how that uh, develops. I'm glad we're making field goals, right? I'll take the other uh, if we're making if we're making field goals, and uh, if the defense continues to progress, and that's what we're seeing. So I'm cool with that. I'm like I said, uh, I sound low energy tonight, and I apologize to everyone for that. But uh, again, this this team has me super excited uh, about what's available uh, for the balance of this season. So. What do we have uh, ahead of us? Uh, obviously, it's a buy, and uh, I'm I, I'm excited about the buy, not because there's not football, but because of what that brings to the team. Uh, it's an opportunity to get well, to get rested, to get healthy, to get ready, and damn it, to get angry. Uh, the four teams coming up uh, over the last stretch of the season, two of them represent losses from last year. Uh, so we go down to uh, LSU. And then a couple of weeks later, we've got Auburn in-house. And so I want this team to come out of the bye rested, you know, tan, rested, and ready, right? I want them to come out ready to play ball. And I do want them to have an edge. And I do want them to be pissed off. And I want them to go down to LSU. And uh, when Ogeron, you know, made his, his you know, statements last year about owning Tuscaloosa and setting up shop in, in Tuscaloosa, whatever the hell it all was, he said, uh, I think that's a situation where that game will be on replay in the weight rooms uh, across the facility. Uh, I think those quotes will be posted, and uh, I think they'll be on replay across the facility. And I want this Alabama team, in particular the defense, but I want this team to go down to, to Baton Rouge really pissed off and seeking uh, revenge for last uh, for last season. And then uh, we've got two home games. 
uh, the second of which uh, is Auburn. And so I want the team to come back ready uh, for that game as well. And then we've got a final home game. And you know what's interesting? And, uh, you know, Greg Senke did not reach out to me uh, to discuss my preferences for this season. But it's as if he did. Because this season, if you just think about how it, it has shaped up, uh, it's really shaped up very, very well. Uh, six games and then the bye. Like I've talked about that, the placement of that. But then you look at these four games coming back uh, from the bye. The first is at LSU. And so the travel for at LSU is coming out of the bye. So you think there's more time. It's not a compressed it's not as compressed of a week coming out of the bye. Then you get two home games in a row, uh, including the home game the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And so players may go do Thanksgiving with their family, but they're not coming back to Tuscaloosa then have to fly somewhere. Uh, they're coming back to Tuscaloosa to play. So there's, there's um, a, more of a sense of normalcy there. And then the last game of the, of the season is the travel game. The last travel. So there's four games, uh, road, home, home, and road. And so, again, I just like the distribution there. Uh, I like the symmetry of that. And, of course, you look at who the opponents are. Uh, so I think the team is going to come out of the bye uh, ready to go. So we think about that's what the team is doing during the bye. What's the podcast crew doing? Uh, we're whipping up some more interviews, and uh, we're going to put together some details on an upcoming contest. Uh, in, in addition to announcing the winner of this last uh, contest. And so what can you, as a podcast listener, as a podcast supporter, what can you do uh, during the bye week? Well, I'm glad you asked. Why don't you send us your questions, your comments, your feedback, your commentary, anything that you would like us to weigh in on, send that over to us because we'd like to collect some of that material and maybe do an extra show or a bye week show covering that type of content. So send us some questions and uh, we'll do our best to, to put together a show. You know, I mean, everything we do is dedicated to, to you folks. Uh, but if you send us questions, then it'll be more of a sort of a, a focal point that this, this is content that we are creating at your request. Uh, so send those to us. You know how to reach out to us. Uh, Alabama Football Podcast at gmail.com. If you go to the website, alabamafootballpodcast.com, there's a contact us uh, form so you can do that. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, preferably a five-star, and uh, we'll read some of that uh, content. I think we've got a couple uh, reviews. I think we have one review in the last year, and uh, we'd really like to see some more uh, some more current uh, reviews. That helps us in the ranking. We have we still rank really, really well. If you go on iTunes and you look up Alabama Football Podcast or Alabama Football, uh, yeah, if you look up Alabama Football, we rank number one there, and we've had that position for a while. We're really proud of that. If you look under college football, we've really slipped uh, in, in the rankings. We've really fallen uh, in the rankings. So we were as high as nine. Uh, we've hovered around 12, 13, but we're, we're down like in the 20s. And so I think if we can get some more searches and some more reviews and some more positive uh, reviews and five stars, I think that'll buoy us up. So if you're a fan of what we do, you subscribe to us on iTunes and you've not yet left a review then I invite you to do that. That will certainly help support the show. Uh, it will help other fans like you find us. And I hear so much that that's how people have found us on iTunes. And so, uh, you know, do a brother a, a favor, do a sister a favor, leave us a review, and that will help them That will help them find us. And like I said, we're going to try to do a show uh, during the bye week if we get enough um, sort of content for that. And some of you say, man, Dave, you can talk for hours about Alabama football, even if we don't leave you a question. And you're probably right, uh, but it's more fun uh, if there are questions that uh, that I can sort of jump off from. So send those in and uh, and we'll go from there. And hey, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. 
check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.